friends, welcome to the Sunday Sermon segment of We Need God. Please listen as Father Carrozza offers his homily for today, which was recorded live in St. Anne's Parish. Before we give my homily, I would like to give just a shout out to the young lady who has been doing the flowers here in the church this past month. She doesn't want her name known or anything, but when May began and I put out a little prayer area with the Blessed Mother, I went and got some simple plants and things, just put a few flowers before her. And she came and said to me, Father, do you mind if I spruce it up a little bit? I said, okay, fine. So she went out, she bought some roses and everything and spruced it up and she liked it. And she says, do you mind if I do this throughout the month of May? And I said, no, not at all. Well, perhaps she's gone overboard, I don't know, but you see all the flowers she's been doing. I don't know where she ever found long stem roses this big. And she's paying for it all with her own money. She won't accept a penny from me, and I keep saying, I don't want you going bankrupt over putting flowers in the altar. She says, no, and she goes, I'm happy to do it, Father. So um, even though she doesn't want any public acknowledgement, nevertheless, I do want to let you know that I appreciate the money that she has spent and all the time she has been doing and putting out beautiful flowers for the month of May before the altar. If you go downstairs in the basement, there's more flowers down there. It looks like a flower shop down there. So, but anyway, I'm sure you can appreciate everything that she's done, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. I'm going to ask her to watch this online so that at least she knows we appreciated what she's done. Imagine it's a beautiful summer day, and you go down to the beach, and you go in towards the water, and there is a young boy standing in the shallow water with a sponge in his hand, and he's dipping the sponge in the water, and then pulls it out, and the sponge is dripping with water. And he looks at it and shakes his head and puts it down again, and pulls it out, and it's still dripping with water, and he looks out at the ocean, and he squeezes it out, and then puts it down again, and brings it out, and it's still dripping, and you can see something is frustrating this boy. And so you decide, oh, let me go over. He's just a little kid. Maybe I can help him. So you go to him and say, son, you, you look frustrated. Can I do something to help you? And he goes, well, yeah. He goes, I'm trying to absorb all of the ocean in the sponge, but it's just not all coming up, and I'm just getting frustrated with this. Well, of course, you know, we have to explain to him that that sponge cannot contain the entire ocean in it. It's absolutely impossible. And of course, you and I realize right away how silly that is for somebody to try to think one sponge could hold all the water in the ocean. But we often make a very similar mistake when it comes to God. We think somehow that our human brain, which is not much larger than a sponge, can somehow absorb all of the knowledge, all of the truth, all of the uh, wisdom of the mystery of God that we can absorb it and understand it in our brain. And how many people do not worship God because they think that just doesn't make sense. God doesn't work the way I expect him to do. And they can't see the fullness of what God is doing. And it frustrates them. And we want to remind them, if we're talking about God here, our human brains, you know, if you say, well, this is confusing, and I'm not talking about something contradictory, like uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses, who infallibly teach at the very same time that hell both does exist and doesn't exist. And they're both infallible teachings by the Jehovah's Witnesses. You know, it's not illogical or uh, contradictory, but mystery, especially when we talk about the Trinity, God himself being one in three persons. And some people have rejected the Trinity because they say, oh, that makes no sense. Quite frankly, that's the reason why I know it's true. 
Because no human being would make up the Trinity. We had to have Jesus reveal that to us, as we hear in our Gospel reading today, as well as in many other places in the Scriptures where Jesus reveals the mystery of the Trinity to us. Nobody would make that up. When people make up gods, they make up Jupiter and Neptune, or gods of volcanoes, or fertility gods, or anything like that. Usually angry gods that are punishing people. They don't make up the Trinity. And that is beyond anything we could comprehend. And the, the fact that it is so mysterious is what helps us know that it is true. Now, sometimes when we first look at the Trinity, people will say, well, no big deal, three, one God and three persons. Yeah. You know, and we look at it like that and say, hey, there's nothing to, confuse, to be confused over. However, the Trinity becomes more mysterious the more we look at it. And the more questions we answer, the more questions arise. First of all, I think while we all know we are monotheists, we believe in one God, I think on a practical level, many of us work kind of like polytheists, like we believe in three gods, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And of course, nobody would say, oh, I believe in three gods. But we kind of work that way. And we don't always remember that the Trinity is just one God, one God in three persons. And each member of the Trinity is totally and completely God in himself. The Father is not one-third of the Trinity, and Jesus the second-third, and the Holy Spirit the last part. Each and every one of them is totally, completely God in himself. That's why Jesus could say to Philip, when Philip says, you know, Lord, show us the Father. And he says, how can you ask me show you the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So all three members of the Trinity are totally and completely God in themselves. Put all three of them together, and you don't have three times as much God, you have just much, as much God afterwards as you had before. We can talk uniquely about the aspects of each member of the Trinity, but we can't pluck them out of the Trinity. While they are totally and completely God on their own, they need the relationship with the other two. So if you try to just say, well, we'll remove Jesus, and we've still got two-thirds of God in the Father and the Holy Spirit, no. You can't talk about Jesus without talking about the Father and the Holy Spirit. They all go together. So they complement each other, they require each other, yet they are totally and completely God in themselves. So, we have one God in three persons, who each person is totally and completely God. Put them all together and you don't get any more God than you had before. Each one can stand on his own, but if you try to pluck one out, you ruin the beauty of God or the whole essence of it. Is your mind on tilt by now? It should be, because it is a mystery beyond anything you and I could even begin to fathom. There's no way our finite human mind could possibly conceive of the mystery of the Trinity. But the mystery of the Trinity is not a mystery to be explained. We're never going to be able to explain God, even though people have tried. St. Patrick gave us probably the most famous image of the Trinity when he used the shamrock to try to uh, preached to the, the pagan people in Ireland when he came there to believe in Jesus, that just as there were three leaves on one stem, there were three persons in the one God. And it was helpful to explain it to them, but it's not an identity, because you could pluck off one leaf of the shamrock, and you could say, well, I still have two-thirds of a shamrock here, but if you try to get rid of the Holy Spirit, we don't have God anymore. Nor would you say that that one leaf is a whole shamrock in itself. That's not to fault St. Patrick, of course, because nobody can come up with a perfect uh, example of the Blessed Sacrament. He did the best he could, and effectively so, with what he had. But probably the best image or explanation of the Trinity was given to us by St. Thomas Aquinas. 
And Thomas Aquinas said, the Trinity is our mind, not the brain itself, not the organ, but our ability to think, thinking a thought and knowing it's thinking that thought. And when you think about it, no pun intended, or perhaps every pun intended, but when you think about that, it's probably the best way to understand it. My ability to think, thinking and knowing it's thinking. You can talk about all three of those separately, but obviously you can't pluck one out and leave the others behind. Probably the closest we can get, and yet how abstract that is. That's so hard to fathom, whereas looking at a shamrock is a lot easier. But again, it's a mystery not to be explained, but a mystery to be lived each and every day. And God has called us into living the mystery of the Trinity at every moment of our lives. And just like many of you, I'm sure, are pretty good with a computer. You, know, you, get, you put programs in and everything, and you can print out, people print out you know, Christmas cards and greeting cards and all sorts of other things, wonderful stuff that you can do on the computer. Unless you're a computer manufacturer, you may not know exactly how all those little things inside the desktop or the laptop work. So if you open it up and look in, and all you see are these you know, buttons and knobs and all sorts of other stuff, we don't know exactly how all those things are working. But we know when we use it, all we have to know is to plug it in and turn it on and use the programs, and we can be pretty good at it. And that's the way we're meant to be with God, not to explain the mystery of the Trinity, but to live the mystery of the Trinity. And the mystery of the Trinity is simply all love, all wisdom, all beauty, all goodness, all essence, all existence, all of being is in the person of God, and the second person of that trinity, or in the trinity, and the second person of that trinity took on flesh to live in our world, to unite our human nature with his divine nature, and then gave us his body and blood as food, which we'll talk about in another celebrity next Sunday at Corpus Christi, so that now we would be nourished and fed and made of that very same flesh and blood. The very flesh and blood of God himself enters into us and absorbs us into union with him so that he is calling us to nothing less than total union with the Holy Trinity, to be absorbed completely in all goodness, all beauty, all wisdom, all joy for all eternity. My friends, think about that, what that really means. How awesome. There is no other religion on the face of the earth, past or present, that has ever taught that their deity is calling them to be absorbed totally and completely into him. But do you realize that's exactly what Jesus has done for us? Called us, made it possible for us to be completely united with him. That we will be with him on his throne. Just as Jesus left his throne, to uh, the second person of the Trinity, to take flesh in the womb of the Virgin Mary, as we talked about at Christmas time. And then giving us that flesh and blood as our food. Now as he humbled himself, he exalts us. And when he ascended to heaven 40 days after the resurrection, he ascended with his human body. So now there is a human being sitting on the throne of God. And you and I are part of that human being. We have been called to be one in him, to live with him in the fullness of all beauty, all joy, all truth for all eternity. That, my friends, is an awesome, awesome gift. And how unique Christ is with that. And that is what God has done for us in calling us to, to share in the mystery of the Trinity. And not just in heaven when our souls get there and then in the new creation when Jesus returns in glory, but each and every day of our lives here and now. 
Does not Jesus say, I have come that my joy may be yours and your joy may be complete? Well, he has come to do that for us, that we would have that wisdom here and now. Unfortunately, many of us don't enter into that mystery. We never really think it through and we never really understand and fathom what God has done for all of us. They say the longest journey in creation is 18 inches long. The 18 inches from our brain to our heart. To take what we know, our knowledge, our catechism, our facts about God, and what we know Him to be, and end up loving Him. When we come to love God, to literally fall in love with God, what a difference it makes. That is what changes our lives. And the great saints that we see, that happen with them, and even sometimes people who are still walking the earth, who inspire us, that we see, you know, that person is, seems to be head over heels in love with Christ. Well, that person inspires me, and their love for Christ is contagious. We feel more in love with him because of that person's love. And if you know anything about love, anybody who's been in love, well, first of all, somebody who has never been in love will hear people talking about it, but they don't understand what they're mentioning. In fact, sometimes it almost seems a little silly. We might hear people say, say, oh, come on, knock it off when, you know, the silly language and stuff that sometimes people use when they're in love. It seems crazy to us. But when you finally fall in love with someone yourself, that changes everything. And you know that feeling in your heart. You feel like you have invented this emotion that nobody else has ever known it. How many songs do we hear where people say, no one's known the love that we know between the two of us. And they think they're the only people who have ever fallen in love. And even though many, many people fall in love, in one sense they are correct. No one's love is like theirs because it is the unique love and the total gift of self between those two people who are not like no one else. So yes, in one sense their love is just like no one else's. And it radically changes them. Sometimes with positive things that they feel like they're walking on air and the sky is bluer or the grass is greener and everything is it's easy to deal with because they're in love. Other times they may feel like you know, they can't eat and they can't sleep and everything has changed and all the things they desired before, all of a sudden they don't want that. They want other things. They just want their beloved. And sometimes that's painful even at the same time as being wonderful. It means a radical, total, and complete transformation of the heart when people fall in love with each other. Well, if that happens when we fall in love with another human being, imagine what happens when we fall in love with God himself. The radical transformation that naturally takes place in us. That changes our lives. That changes our outlook. That gives us the whole reason to get up every morning and realize, I am loved by God. I love him and he loves me back. And we live a relationship as if we're in love with Christ. And all we want to do is grow in that love more and more each and every day. And sometimes you see people walking around you know, who are claimed to be Christians, even practicing Christians, and yet they're grumpy and angry all the time and yelling at this and complaining about that. Well, the first thing I notice with them is that they've never really loved God. Everybody gets angry once in a while. But when you live your life that way, they've never known the love of God. It's a telltale sign that they have never made that journey from their head to their heart. They have not fallen in love with Christ. And that's what you and I need to do, what God wants to do for us. And sometimes then, even one of the things that keeps a lot of people from worshiping God is some of the teachings of the church. 
that you know the hot button issues for today and other things that people say oh that's crazy how can the church still teach this in these, this day and age how can they still forbid that or demand that or whatever it is and when you fall in love with Jesus all of those things just naturally fall in place it's as if now that you understand the love of God you see why the Lord says that, even though it's very unpopular today to hold that image. And people might tell us, you know, people are walking with it, voting with their feet, they're leaving in droves, so you've got to change that teaching. We still realize no, because the love of God is naturally means that we don't do that or we do practice this, whatever the issue may be. And so when we are truly in love with God, it feels like we're in love with another person. It makes everything different. It makes our lives better, and we find the joy that Christ intended us to have. And so when I see people who are fighting the church and all these different things, and I'm not talking about just somebody who doesn't understand this or that, the people who go out with their placards and their petitions and the screaming and yelling and the anger at the Pope and all the others, the first thing again I tell myself is it's a telltale sign. They have never fallen in love with Christ. They haven't made that journey yet, and I pray that they will. Because once people make that journey and fall in love with him, it changes everything in their lives. And that's what the Lord wants to do for us, to do nothing less than absorb us completely into union with him. And we'll never be able to fathom the fullness of him and the reason for all the things he teaches any more than we could absorb all of the ocean on a sponge. We will be, even when the sponge is saturated, as that little boy noticed with the water dripping out, the ocean doesn't even realize what's missing. And you and I, even when our minds seem to be filled to capacity with knowledge of the Lord and love for Him, there's so much more out there that we can't even begin to imagine. It's a mystery that we can't completely fathom, but we rejoice in growing in each and every day. And every day we try to grow a little closer to the Lord and love Him all the more. And when we do that, that's when the love of God has truly come to rest in our hearts and it makes everything different. And our relationship with God is a unique one because God loves us uniquely as we are and our relationship with Him will be a full love but not quite the same as everyone else's because everyone else's love is unique. And when we fall in love with God, if we feel like nobody else knows the love I know, that this is unique for me, yeah, in many ways it really is because we are not like everybody else and our unique relationship with the Lord and our total love for Him and His total love for us is something only you will know individually in your own heart. And so, my friends, today, as we come to this great solemnity of, of, of the Most Holy Trinity, may we appreciate the gift we have, not trying to answer, explain what God is, but live that mystery each and every day so that God can, we can allow God to absorb us into himself, to draw us totally into the union with him in all wisdom, all goodness, all beauty, all existence, all truth, in the total fidelity and union of love of the Trinity of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. May Jesus Christ be praised. Thank you for listening to this week's homily by Father Carosa. If you enjoyed this homily, please pass the word on to your friends and invite them to listen. For more materials from Father Carosa, please visit www.fathercarosa.com.